questions, Palais Creole. Palais Creole is a question. Do you speak Creole? And uh, it'll, it'll all make, sh- make uh, sense as we continue to move forward. Because really, that is the bottom line. That is what we were striving to do, is to understand um, the Haitian culture. Um, how it was that they function? How they saw the world? And so we start out every morning as we would see the family come out, as we would greet each other with a simple word, which means good day or good morning. It is bonjour. 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 In the afternoon, it is bonsoir. And to, to say good night was uh, the way you'd say it is bonuit. Bonuit. Right? There are many things I wish to tell you about our first missionary trip to Haiti. We've only told you about a few things. Please understand that what I tell you and describe to you is from a person who is ignorant of the fullness of the endeavor that God has called us to and can only testify of the initial experience that the Lord has allowed us to see and to come to know. I have a beginner's understanding of the command of our Lord to make disciples of all nations. It's a humbling experience to understand that we've only begun to scratch the surface of knowing what it means to make disciples of all nations and other countries, to be his witnesses, not only locally and regionally, but also throughout the world. Before I tell you what I learned in Haiti, I must point out a few things the world, I mean, the word tells us about missions, because that's really important for us to understand, to begin to put things in proper perspective, truly. You see, missionary work is not a fleshly endeavor of philanthropic, personal satisfaction, nor is it meant to, quote-unquote, improve the living conditions of the nations in which the missionary is sent. Although there were poor conditions, although they were nothing what we would experience ourselves, we weren't there to change any of that. It is not to promote our way of life, but rather to come to understand their culture and meet them where they are, that they may come to trust the person and come to perceive or receive the message of salvation that comes by way of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and no one else. And again, I believe that we have only begun this work. I've only begun to personally understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote the, these words to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19-23. through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Missions does call for sacrifices in many ways. It is not a cheap business. But when understood, it cannot be avoided, and there is nothing that compares to knowing you are in the will of the Lord, no matter the cost, whether at home or abroad. So I want to go over a few um, areas of Scripture with you. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the great commission that the Lord gave to his disciples. 
It says in verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hold your place there. Because in Acts chapter 1, we have also the Great Commission as it continues on with the disciples. In, in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but, I, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, our battle was to assimilate, was to come together and come to understand the culture of Haiti. So I want to know a few things, the way they said things, certain phrases that Perhaps we could leave them with seeds that we could plant and maybe someone else could water. water. Jezi, Jezi, Remeu. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is it? Robert? Jesus loves you. That's right. So every chance we would get, we would tell them, Jezi, Remeu. Right? Jesus loves you. There is something very important and critical about knowing who sends a person into the mission field. So the first thing that we need to look at as far as these two separate sections of Scripture is understanding who sends the person into the mission field, whether local or away from home. When Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission, they didn't question it. They didn't question the authority of the one who sent them. But rather they understood and knew that Jesus was the one who gave them the very command to go. Therefore, they went in the name of Jesus, representing him as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What we need to understand about this this command of Christ is, number one, they were disciples. This was not a command that was given to the world. It was given specifically to the disciples of Jesus Christ. That includes each and every one of us. Jesus called his disciples to go, those who were already following him. Secondly, we see in the Great Commission that there was this obedience. 
The disciples were obedient and first followed basic instructions to simply go to a mountain to meet with them. That's what we read there in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. He hadn't given them the great commission. Faithful in the small things, the Lord will give you greater things. Do the menial tasks that the Lord has simply called you to do simply. And the other things will come. At the same time, are you okay if they don't come? The one thing that we need to realize is, number one, that they were already followers of Christ. Number two, they were obedient in the little things. Number three, they were worshipers. The disciples were worshipers of Jesus, praising him and lifting him above all others. That's what they were doing on that mountain. But at the same time, they were human. And there were some that doubted. Nevertheless, their responsibility and the Great Commission was not kept from them. Some did all of these things in spite of having some doubt. It is a personal lack of faith, but even a tiny bit of faith can move mountains. It didn't hold them back and it shouldn't hold you back from following Jesus, being obedient and worshiping Him. Notice in Acts that the commission is not just to be Jesus' witnesses locally, but also regionally and throughout the world. Sometimes the church itself um, can look at missions in a way that is unbiblical. Well, how can you go to Haiti? How can you go to Peru? How can you go and you just fill in the blanks? Thailand, Malaysia. How can you go to all those places if there is such a great need here in Jerusalem or in Riverside? The thing is, is the Lord has not called us just to Riverside or to your neighborhood or to your work environment or to your family. But the church is to do this very work in its entirety. I believe that the Apostle Paul is a great example of fulfilling the Great Commission in everything that the Lord had instructed him to do. Notice that he was a pastor teacher. He was an evangelist. He was a church planner. He was a missionary. He was an apologist. He was all of the above. He was an encourager. He walked with the Lord. And he followed the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So, as we look at his example, as he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We know that the church, that we have been commissioned to do all of these things. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Yes, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. We are to teach them to obey all of the commands of God. And that takes time. That's why I truly think, you know, as I look at my fellow brothers here, and that as we go, we can all agree that this was just the beginning. We need to go back again and again and again, continue to build those bridges for them to trust us, for us to be able to communicate to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and for them to truly and genuinely receive it. At the same time, let us not neglect the evangelization of our neighborhood, Riverside, and parts of the world that God calls us to. When you know who sent you, then you will be able to communicate to others who sent you. And you will be able to communicate and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. So we leave this section with these words. Bonjour, bienvenue. Which means, God bless you. We also need to look at spiritual tenacity. 
Please turn with me to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, I just want to read through. Now, this is not going to be a, a deep study of God's word, but I want to point out the main, the main points, the, the thrust of what we're going over this morning in regards to missionary work. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, um, so this were not... Um, Encouraging words, right? They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Those are encouraging words. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God. Important point. All were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them... They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to them to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of, of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and, and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And if you're taking notes, you can jot down 
Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23, which is the time that Paul was stoned in Lystra, left for dead. And what did he do? He went back into Lystra, what anyone would do. Something that we heard along the road as we were going everywhere is little kids and older people, everyone in in between. And that is, Trey Bell, Trey Bell. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. That's a nickname that they give to Tim. Um, Do do you know A man's man. (laughs) Means a man's man, yes, right? (laughs) I'll tell you what that is in a moment. Um, it's, it's all good though. Um, they would say from the sides of the road, blah, blah. It's not blah, 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 you know, blah, blah, blah. No, blah, blah means white, white men, white men. That's what they would say. Yeah. It's like, wow, is that bland or what? (laughs) So, but they, I think some were kind, maybe, and others weren't so kind. Uh, they called us other words, by the way, um, that I remember asking Seraphim, asking him to, and we, we all asked him at certain points, you know, can you translate what they're saying? And he says, eh, I'd rather not. <laughs> so although many were welcoming, there were many others who were not welcoming to us. You see, the Christian faith demands that we have spiritual internal fortitude. That means guts, right? That means a spine. So, you know, that, that we would have thick skin, soft hearts, uh, but that we would be thick skin, that we wouldn't let the world and what they have to say, their criticism and any of that really have a, an impact on us in the way that they would like for it to have. In fact, Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you, if you consider what the apostles did in these sections of scripture that I just read, you will come to realize that they were in jail. They were in cuffs. They were told. They were charged. They were beaten. They were, it was overwhelming. I mean, we didn't experience those things. But they said, hey, whether, you know, we are to obey you or God, you know, you be the judge. (laughs) But we can't but testify of those things that we have seen and heard. Those things that we have come to know to be true. And they continued on. The Apostle Paul got beaten, left for dead, by the religious leaders. And he went right back into Lystra. Jesus again spoke to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both souls and body in hell. To Timothy, the apostle Paul writes, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. 2 Timothy 1, 7. The test is what will you do when confronted with resistance and even tribulation and persecution. Will you take that as a sign, quote-unquote, that, th- that the Lord is not in this? Or will you have what it takes to continue moving forward? I tell you that if you know Jesus sincerely, genuinely, intimately, that when those situations do arise, that you will go right through them, and you, like Paul, will be 
raised up from the dead, so to speak, and go right back at it. Do you really know who sent you and in whose power you walk in? And I encourage you, I exhort you to build your own spiritual strength, to expose yourself to the Lord pouring into you, to build tenacity by spending time with the Lord in His Word and prayer, and studying the Word so as to understand and give others a reason or the reason for the hope that lies within you. To be able to withstand in the difficult moments and the difficult days. Number three, give them what they need. Acts chapter 3. This is somewhat what Moses was talking about here, and I think this spoke to all of us as we were again trying to figure out exactly what it is that we needed to to give to them. Point number three is give them what they need. Acts chapter 3 verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. And walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. John chapter 5. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? Funny question for someone who had been an invalid, lame for 38 years, right? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up and take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. We're going to stop there. Let me tell you that in Haiti, beggars are everywhere. Everywhere. 
um, in the U.S., if you think about it, beggars are everywhere. Everywhere, asking for a handout, just in different ways. And they didn't understand. I don't understand. And that was their mentality. That's, that's how they see things, is they don't fully understand. I, I know Moses was um, trying to teach um, this gentleman uh, that kept asking. He, first, he was asking, I don't know, for a house, a car. What, I mean, he was asking for everything. And, and then he realized he wasn't going to get that. So then he started asking for um, just, just, you know, send me through school, um, which would be like, I don't know, he was asking finally for 100 bucks. Is that what it was? 100 bucks. And um, then it got down to when, he, when we were about to leave, you know, I could really use that knife that you have there, you know, because I could um, cut fruit and uh, make some money doing that. But one of the things that, um, he was the one, by the way, that was, that was climbing the coconut tree. What, would, what name did we give him? Oh, Big Kevin. Yeah, we get Big Kevin, because there was a little Kevin. So he was Big Kevin. So <clears throat> when he helped us uh, take some supplies um, to the work site, um, he was blessed and he was given, thank you, some, um, he was given some, some money for doing that, for helping out. Um, by the way, I believe it's $40 a month that someone that is doing well um, earns there in Haiti. So to give him five bucks or a few dollars is a lot. Um, so Moses had pointed that out to him that, hey, listen, every time you do something, you work, you receive. You don't work, you just ask for a handout, you don't receive. He went up and got those coconuts. He's the one that went up there. And I'm telling you, we, were, we barely got our cameras out, our phones, to videotape him going up that coconut tree. Uh, no restraints, no protection. I mean, he just boom, boom, boom. boom. He was, what, maybe about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he was a tall guy. But, man, he just went right up. And he said he did it every day. But when he came back down, he even took the... the it's not machete in, in Creole. It's machete. Machete. The, so the E is silent at the very end. So he took the machete and he worked that thing like a champ. Um, cut those coconuts open. Not what you and I see in the grocery store. I mean, these things are not cleaned up. There's from something this big. The actual coconut is about that big. He, he had such skill with it that he cut the end off and just left enough to where you could, you could rip it, um, the uh, actual meat open a little bit and drink the coconut juice. And then he'd take, once we were done with that, we'd give it back to him. And he'd take it in one whack and it was cut open in half. And then he'd give us that. And for apparently for the local Haitian, he made a, a little spoon out of uh, part of the coconut. And that's how they took the meat out. For us, they give us spoons. <laughs> Americans will give you spoons. But Moses was pointing out, hey, listen, when you do something, you get paid. So it was something that he wasn't understanding, that it's going to take more visits out there to help them understand, hey, listen, this is how it is in God's economy. This is the way it should be. This is outside of just telling them about Jesus Christ and the gospel. They ask for money or things, but what they really need is living water. 
They need to see who Jesus is so as to be able to see and walk and rejoice in him. We were just pointing out about this invalid. Really what they needed to see, what he needed to see was not to be made to walk again, but to see who Jesus truly was. That when he was rejoicing in God's house, that he was rejoicing in the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What the apostles gave the lame beggar was not what he was asking for. What Jesus did for the 38-year-old invalid was to help him realize that the power of healing was not in a body of plain water, but in Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, in Jesus Christ himself. What many people don't understand is that Jesus, although he may heal physically or even mentally, ultimately desires to heal us spiritually, to make us right through him toward the Father in our relationship with him. The people may not understand initially, but when they do and they see who Jesus is to them, they too will be able to see, walk, and even jump with joy because they have come to know salvation through Jesus Christ personally. We saw that firsthand. It's amazing how these people, let me tell you that those pictures really don't do it much justice. In person to see the living conditions of these families, of these children, of these these people And then to see them on Saturday for Bible study. To see them on Sunday morning for worship time. And for them to come from miles around. They weren't weren't coming with these fold-up chairs. They were coming with the only chairs they had, wooden, over their heads, walking. And I'm not joking, and I'll give you a kind of a distance that some of them would walk. I'll just tell you a mile away. And I can tell you, without a doubt, that many of them walked from even farther distances. And they would come. I I don't know how they got their their, their clothes looking the way they did. They were immaculate. These little girls, the twins, they were dressed in white like wedding dresses. And they came, just so joyful. And when they sung, they sung with one voice. They sung loud. Oh, you could hear the joy just come out of them. It was overwhelming. I was sitting in the back, and and I would listen to this, and it was like, oh, the sound of angels before us. I, 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 I couldn't hold back. I mean, it totally broke me. And here we have... We, we try and fix up the place to to make it feel more warm and welcoming, to be comfortable for us. All of this. And to be quite honest with you, sometimes I can hardly hear you, and I'm, I'm always up here. It was, um, it was humbling. We're so worried about our neighbors, about the person in front of us hearing us sing off key when God doesn't care. He tells us to make a joyful noise unto, the, unto him. And I'm telling you, they not all had beautiful voices. There were a couple of people, a couple of ladies that had, oh my gosh, it was like, wow. Sign them up, right? But everyone else, it was just beautiful that they didn't care. They just sung. They would come from miles away carrying the only chairs that they had wooden over their heads. 
There was a joy that no set of circumstances could take away from them. There was no doubt that they knew Jesus Christ intimately. There was nothing that was stopping them from coming to worship the Lord corporately. There was no excuse. Can you imagine? We have all kinds of excuses. There are people that aren't here for lame excuses this morning. You guys know that as well as I do. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, right? The littlest things. And I can tell you that there was this place the day before on Saturday, after we were, oh no, it was before we had the the Saturday um, worship service, right? We go to where we were going to have the Sunday service. And there were people out there, men who were digging holes. You saw some pictures of how Randy and the the rest of the guys were, were helping dig these holes with machetes, with just these picks, with whatever they had, digging holes to put in these posts and recycle nails from other pieces of wood and hammer what they had cut with a machete into a plank to fit on top of these posts coming out of the ground so that they would have enough seating for everyone that was coming the next day. They weren't doing it because they were going to get paid. They were doing it just because they wanted to serve God. And when they came, yes, there was a tarp that went over everything. That was it. In fact, there was another um, few people that came at the very beginning of service and set up a tarp behind their pastor, Seraphim, so that he would be shielded from the sun. That was church. That was the very place where they lifted their voices to God and their hearts to Him. They praised Him with everything that they had. That was humbling. Truly humbling. I just, I want the church to kind of wake up a little bit. To quit looking just inward, but look upward and look outward. That we would stop with all the comforts. Please know, I, I, I implore you, as having a greater understanding, and myself being humbled but what I, by what I experienced, I'm only trying to convey to you, to communicate to you, These things, because I don't want to shame you, I want to help you understand. And I want for all of you, for most of you, to whoever, to experience these very same things. We want everything to be right. In this world, you will have tribulation. Let's quit. Let's let's quit with the whole comfort thing. Let's start truly focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop. Let's stop trying to justify certain things that are self-centered and full of ourselves. Let's truly sacrifice for the Lord. And you will see how it is that you will have a peace which surpasses all understanding. You'll have truly an understanding of what it means to walk in the will of the Lord. We can justify all kinds of things, and I pray that we don't. I pray that we don't. They had a joy that no one could take. 
because they had come to know salvation through Jesus Christ personally that no one could take away. You have anything. What I learned from Haiti, and I don't apologize for going late either, I, I believe that you truly needed to, to catch a glimpse, perhaps, of what we experienced. Number one, missions is God's will done in imperfect circumstances. Even though everything may initially go smooth, as it did, it won't last for long. Storms, I said may come, but will come. Let me just put it that way. Plans may fail. Storms literally came the first two days. Plans may fail, they will fail. Waiting may be long, they will be long at times. But trust in God is demanded. Faith must be exercised. The team must stick together in having his personal perspective is critical. Number two, learn the culture as well as ours. This is their home and their world. Make every effort to see things through their eyes and learn how they do things and come alongside them. Even if our ways, quote-unquote, are better, to force our ways on them may only serve to build walls and not bridges. Make every effort to understand them and how they do things. And thirdly, genuinely love them. What would you be willing to do for someone you love? You know John fifteen thirteen. In fact, Jake had quoted it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's very honorable. That's something that war movies are based on many times, right? So we're very familiar with this concept. If Jesus tells us that this is the ultimate demonstration of love, to be willing to die for our friends... How much more should we live for others and esteem them more than ourselves? That, I believe, to a certain degree, is harder than being willing to lay down your life for them. Because hardly will you be called to lay your life down for someone else. But you are daily called to live by esteeming others more than you. Every day. I'm going to leave you with this. Anna L. Waring wrote, Wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever waketh, his sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. I pray that what we went over as far as scripture is concerned resonates in your hearts. Jesse Remeu, Palais Creole, Bonjour Benio. God loves you. Jesus loves you. God bless you. And I pray that we do learn the needs of others. That we wouldn't just see the physical needs or the emotional needs, but we would more importantly see the spiritual needs. And convey that to them and communicate the love of Christ to the world around us. The very place that God has set us in. I pray that you do not walk away from this place without knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because that is the only way to know forgiveness of sins and eternal life in the presence of God.
What does that require? It requires repentance and belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and was raised on the third day, that after 40 days of appearing to his disciples, that he ascended to the Father and today sits at the right hand of the Father, that you believe in him, the only begotten of the Lord, of God. For the love of others, would you be willing to go to the ends of the earth to tell them about Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I pray you do.